things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ. Thank you. God, you, you flung the stars and the clouds and the moon and the sun and all things. and you, you, you hung the universe perfectly. And God, through that alone, you have the power to redeem your children back to you. But you chose broken man. You chose the outcast that was sung and talked about. You chose broken vessels like, like myself and the faithful men and women of Jesus Christ to obey this great commission. And so, God, I pray, God, for a great revival to break out. Starting in our own hearts. And, Lord, if there's someone here within the sound of my voice tonight that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, may they settle that. God, may they know for sure that they'll have a home in heaven someday. And God, through the remainder of this time together, will you be well pleased in all that's said and done. God, may I decrease and you increase, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share some real compelling statistics. We're preaching tonight. The message titled, Go Teach, Baptize, God's Command to Make Disciples. But I really want to share some statistics tonight. I know idealistically that every seat throughout every pew, we would love for that to be full. We'd love to be thinking about sometimes, (laughs) I'm going to talk brief on this later, but in our, in our minds, we want to talk about building bigger buildings to, to fit more people in them. We want to talk about lives being changed because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want to read some compelling statistics because oftentimes we here in America, we're supposed to be the lighthouse, the beacon of the gospel throughout the world. What is happening? Well, here's some statistics. In a Gallup poll taken in April of 2019... It stated that the United States church membership was 70% or higher from 1937 through 1976 than it was in 2019. Okay? Are you with me? Okay. Through 1970, okay, falling modestly to an average of 68%. In the 1970s through the 1990s. So we see a little bit of decline there. From 70% from 37 to 76. Then now church membership was fell from 68% from the 70s to the 90s. Then in the past 20 years since, the United States has seen an acceleration in the drop-off with a 20 percentage point decline since 1999, and even more than half of that change occurring since the start of 2010. And that, by the way, this is a Gallup poll, not a fundamental Baptist poll, not an not a evangelical Christian poll. 
This is the Gallup poll. So when I say church membership, I'm talking about all religions and all kinds and denominations. So putting it into proper perspective. That, so you do the math here. It says this, 135 churches close per week. So when you do the math, that equals 600 church doors closing per month, which equals about 7,000 per year. Only 4,000 new churches start per year. 35% of those live less than five years. Currently, approximately 350,000 churches drop by 5,000 per year. (laughs) Staggering. Why? Why does it happen in the United States of America? The country founded on the word of God. Is it because of the growing acceptance of immorality? Maybe. It's a result, but it's not the reason why. Is it the economy? Is it the current administration or administration's past? Is it even historical laws being passed such as Roe versus Wade or such as 1963 when Madeleine Murray O'Hara led the charge of kicking God out of the public school? Are those the reasons why the churches are closing? No. They're the results. They're the results. I want to quote, had the opportunity In my last trip to Ukraine, I got to see my wife for one day in Ukraine. She came home and I stayed. This is how God brings things full circle. Because my desire is, why is my wife leaving and leaving? Why? And I know God wants her there. I know he's doing a great work. But we have to be together in this. Because we're one. Husbands and wives, we're one. And and it's not that God called her or God called me. He He calls us. And we have our roles and our calling, you see. It's, and, and, you know, obviously Teresa knows that she's not going to be a pastor. She's not going to be out there preaching in pulpits. But God uses her skill set to help love people with these children with special needs. And God's called me to preach. God's called me as a pastor. So how do I do that when I'm pastoring a, a local church in the United States? I've been here. Our church is actually starting to grow. Amen. And, and we're seeing revival a little bit there breaking out, which we're seeing good things. And, and, you know, and I know that's a roller coaster ride. I get it. Seen it, done it, been there, got the T-shirt. So, so, what, what, so how does he use, so how do I get used in here? How, what, where's my part in this? Well, it, whenever I go, I get the opportunity to preach to, 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 to the lost out there. We get the chance to share the gospel, like Teresa mentioned, to these orphanage workers, to these camps, to these love, people who, who never got felt love before because they've been shunned. And people giving their lives to Christ because they've actually seen, it's not just through Teresa and I, but all these wonderful godly volunteers through their local churches that come. Those seven nations, these are all born-again believers doing their part. 
to help share the love of Christ to the orphan child, to the lost, to the child with special needs, to that country. And that country's got tremendous opportunity for the gospel right now. But really, where does, it, where does this change happen? It changes in the local church. And I was asked by, maybe you've heard of, I don't know. They're a pretty big church, but um, because of Teresa's efforts, she's been able to, she's been uh, working and become friends with a ministry out there called Wings of Faith. And this lady who heads up this ministry, this Wings of Faith ministry in Ukraine in, in a city called Rivna, um, it's, a, it's part of this it offers uh, special needs. It offers services for children with autism, Down syndrome, and children with special needs. And Teresa teaches her conferences to these things, to these people. And this director is affiliated. She's a Ukrainian woman. She's and she's affiliated with a church out of Washington D.C. called McLean Bible Church. Maybe some of you've heard it. Maybe some of you have. It's a very large church, and um, it's it's a Bible believing church. It's a very solid, uh, doctrinally sound church. And uh, they're a very large church in the D.C. area. They have about 17,000 people. But because of that connection, they called me because they know I'm Teresa's husband. See, I get to be her husband. They also, through that, they know I'm a pastor. And they have a desire to plant churches throughout that region. And God is opening up a tremendous opportunity in that region as a, and to be a center point. But I'm getting to this quote as to why the church state of the local church is in such disarray. Why is it closing its doors? And Clint Clifton, I don't, he's, he's an author, he's a church planner. And when we were at this pastor's conference in Ukraine in November, and that's I said all that to get to this point, <laughs> he, we Skyped with him because uh, he's, his network works with McLean Bible Church to help plant these churches. And he said this, and this slayed me. One reason why churches are dying in America, and he said this, and I wrote it down, and I quote, the fundamental reason why churches in America are closing their doors in such rapid fashion it's because they've lost their power and boldness to transform people from death unto life. That's why the churches are closing. And that's why immorality is on the rise. That's why. The churches are not closing as a result of sin. Sin is growing as a result of less people to fight against it. So, we read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We know that is the Great Commission. And though this statement, the Great Commission, is no greater than in that of any other statement made in the Gospels, this, directly, this declaration, this commission applies to us. And I'm praying tonight as a challenge for the church, okay? I want these stats to resonate, but I don't want them to, I don't want you to fret on them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that's the reason why I started with the statistics because the responsibility falls on us, Bible-believing Christians, 
Born again, blood bought. We have the authority, the truth. We, we claim it, but we, sometimes we don't live like we have it. And so if you're taking notes tonight, I want to show you from verses 18 through 20 that we should understand when it comes to the Great Commission and the Gospel, there's three factors that are involved with the Great Commission. Okay? Number one, it's an authority. It's an authority. Verse 18, And Jesus came, spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. You see, that word power, all right, is, comes from, translated from the Greek word exousia, all right, which literally means authority. That's why I said the first point is that the Great Commission is an authority. You see, it's an authority, or maybe you might want to think of it as, if you have the authority, that means an exousia, it means a power, it means authority, then you have the right to use power. Okay? And Jesus has also given exousia, power, authority, the right to use power, to the local church to fulfill the Great Commission. In fact, the entire Gospel of Matthew stresses the authority of Jesus Christ. And since Jesus Christ today has all authority, he said, all power, all authority is given unto me. And therefore, he is transferring that once as soon as he says, now go, therefore, and teach, he has transferred all that authority, pressures on, to you. To me, all power and authority. That's my high jump right there. <laughs> Two-inch vertical. And because he, has all, because he has all authority, we must obey him without fear. And by his death and his burial and resurrection, Jesus Christ defeated all enemies and won for himself all authority. No matter where he leads us, no matter what circumstances we face, Jesus Christ is in control. Let me explain this. Christianity is a missionary faith. And it goes without say, the sign of a healthy local church has a healthy missions program. I'm looking at that board right there. Looks like, and I've been a part of this church really for 25 years, in essence. And, it, and it's always had, no matter how large this congregation has ever been, we've always had here at this church a large, healthy, or a healthy Faith Promise Missions program here. Okay? So that's the sign of a healthy local church. It's one of the many. All right? And so... With Christianity as a missionary faith, the sign of a healthy church being a healthy missions program is because it's the very nature of God demands this. For God is love and God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. So our Lord's death on the cross was for the whole world. And if we're the children of God, and if we're born again, now we do get misconceptions out there. The world wants to believe, well, we're all God's child. That is a lie from the pit of hell that smells like smoke. We are all God's creation. You are not God's child until you become God's child. Because For as many as received him, then gave him power to become sons of God, even those who believe on his name. 
You see, then you become God's child. So if you, are, if you become God's child, all right, then we must share his nature. And therefore, if we share in his nature, we'll want to tell the good news to the lost world. And when we read the book of Acts, we see that the early church operated on the basis of the Lord's sovereign authority. They ministered in his name. They depended on his power and guidance, and they did not face a lost world on the basis of their own authority. But on the authority of Jesus Christ, they faced the lost world. So therefore... And this is where I've gotten myself in trouble at pastor's conferences and stuff. Therefore, we must change our church culture. That's where the trouble comes in. What do you mean by that? Well, in order to do that, if we got to change our culture, like I said, the culture in, in Ukraine needed, needs to change, but it'll never change the polit- it's changing politics aren't going to change. Let me tell you something. State by state, we're getting further and further away from God. They're taking away. They're stripping our freedoms one by one. And, and it's not going to pay to go move to a better state that's more conservative, that has less liberals. Because don't worry, maybe God will allow another four years of, a, of, a, of protection going on with our rights. But one day it's all going to come to an end. God's going to shut the door of the ark of America. And the floods are going to pour. And, 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 and you know, and we're going to... So getting mad and, and going to a better place is not the solution to the problem. We have to... We have to endure what may, what may come till Jesus comes back. So we change our culture. We change our church culture. And let me explain this a little bit better. And I think you can agree, agree with me when I say this because I'm not saying this in critical fashion. I'm a pastor. But I could tell you every pastor wants to find an area where the gospel needs to be preached without compromise. We want to canvas it. We want to either take a struggling church, take an existing church, or plant a church. We want to win the loss and we want to grow real large in number. Okay? And then when we outgrow our building, we want to start a building program so we can build a bigger building, get a bigger mortgage, gain bigger debt, and grow bigger. Okay? This, it's, it's just what we want to do because we want to know, we want, it's, and it's not always to put a notch in our belt. It really isn't. We just have such a desire and a burning desire to, to teach and preach and love on people the way that we know they need to be loved. And we're not sure if anyone else is going to do it right. So we want to grow our church as much as we can. And we have all these and we want to keep the best members for ourselves. And, and, and that's where we become... A, a bit disobedient towards the Great Commission. It, you know, it's nice when it happens, and it's good when it happens when churches grow and we're seeing revival break out and we're busting at the seams. But I don't believe that the Great Commission intends on keeping those best churches in one church, but rather it commands us to send them to go and make disciples so they can send others to go and make disciples so they can send others to go and make disciples and so on and so forth and such beyond. And to do that is to be obedient to God's word and his authority. And he says, his word says, go teach or make disciples of all nations. So the Great Commission is an authority, folks. It's an authority. Number two, it's an activity. 
It's an activity. Activities are fun, right? Verse 19 in the first part of verse 20. So he says, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. And then he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Again, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's the first part of verse 20. I'll stop there. Now, the Greek verb translated go, I'm not going to give you the actual verb, but I just want to let you know that when you pull from the Greek, our original language, that verb, the word go, is not an imperative verb. It's not a command. The word go is not a command. All right? So, hey, now I'll give you like three seconds of feeling off the hook. You're off the hook about going. (laughs) Because that's not the command. But however, the only command in the Great Commission is that word teach. Which literally means make disciples. Okay? So, in context, really what Jesus is saying, while you are going, that's assumed you're going to do it. Now the pressure's back on. Sorry, you're back on the hook again. While you are going, make disciples, teach, baptized, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded thee. You see, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we should be a witness for Jesus Christ and seek to win others to him. No matter where, no matter what. The term disciples now, that was the most popular name for the early church believers. And being a disciple meant more than being a convert or a church member. A disciple attached himself to a teacher. He he or she identified with that teacher, learned from the teacher, lived with them. He learned not simply by listening, but also by doing. God does command. Doesn't he also require us in, 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 the, in the Bible to, to uh, be not just hearers only, but doers of the word? So, and how do you do that? Well, faith cometh by hearing and hearing from the word of God. So you're being taught the word, so you've got to do the word. You see, discipleship is, is one by one. Discipleship has always been a long burden of mine since I was born. I can remember in the old building, after I, gave my, after I got baptized, and committed my life to Christ and started growing. Pastor Schott gave me the opportunity. I took, well, first of all, um, I don't know if he still does. I'm sure at times he, he has. But he used to teach a new converts class. And I still have the curriculum. And um, I went through that new converts class. And then when I went through it, and after a little while, Pastor Schott asked me if I'd be willing to teach that class. And I was able to teach that class. And we had about a handful of new converts. And I was able to teach. It was a small little group. And I remember two or three of them were in that class. And I remember they don't come to this church anymore, but I know one of them moved off to Maine and is still serving God today. It's not because of anything I've done. It's because of... We, what it is, it's discipleship. 
Okay? Didn't want him to move. Just like my A student. But you see, if we hold people back with the gifts they have and they're not being able to be used from God, it's, it's, a, it's a talent that God has given that's gone to waste and we can't be held accountable for uh, causing them to waste what God, the gift that God has given them. God has given us gifts so we can give them to everybody else. If you want to get, you've got to give. You see, so... In Mark, in fact, chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Let's turn there real quick. It's just a couple pages over. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. I want to read this to you and I want to share this thought. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. This is when Jesus chose the twelve. The Bible says, And he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should what? Be with him. So they attached themselves to a teacher and they communed with him, right? They were with him. And that he might send them forth to preach. Okay? So, a disciple, biblically speaking by definition, could be one who has believed on Jesus Christ, expressed his faith by being baptized scripturally, he remains in the fellowship of the believers that he might be taught the truths of the faith. And then he is able to go out and win others and teach them. Acts chapter 2 verses 41 through 47. I'll just read that for the sake of time. So then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day were added to them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So they met in the temple and then they went from house to house. Okay. So they met at the local church, and then they met together from house to house. All right, so they stayed in communion and fellowship day in and day out. And did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily that should be saved. See, that was the pattern of the New Testament church in the Bible times, and this this can be, and probably according to the Great Commission, might ought to be continuing in that pattern. You see, starting right here in New Hartford, Connecticut, okay? You're Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Warren W. Wearsby, Warren Wearsby, and probably I'm sure you've heard of him, some of you. He has a commentary on Matthew. He's got that B series. If anyone's ever familiar with Warren Wearsby, he's got a commentary on every single book of the Bible. It's called the B series. It's also B something. Be this, be that. For the Gospel of Matthew, it's called Be Loyal. And it says this, In many respects, we've departed from this pattern, the one I talked to about an ax. In most churches, the congregation pays the pastor to preach, win the lost, build up the saved, while church members function as cheerleaders if they're enthusiastic or spectators. The converts, quote-unquote, are one, baptized and given the right hand of fellowship, and then they join the other spectators. 
It's pretty powerful. It's pretty sobering. And I want you to just think about this. Just think how much faster our churches would grow and how much stronger they would grow. And our church members, how much happier they would be if each one of them were discipling one another. Think about it. The only way a local church can be fruitful and multiply would be with a, with a strong, systematic discipleship program, such as new converts classes in the church, such as faith promise missions, such as, hey, here's someone I notice who's faithful in church. I've been coming here for however long, and I see this guy, and he's been coming here, or this lady, she's been coming here for such and such and so long. How about one of us say, hey, I noticed you come every time the doors are open. Let's study the Bible together. Let's work together. See what God has in plan for us. How we, can, how we can help grow this church so we can help go and teach. So, how much would we be? How much would that take? See, the only way a lo local churches function in this is by being obedient to that. And it's the responsibility of every believer, not just a small group, not just small group, not just small Bible studies, but every believer has been called to go. And Jesus opened the minds of his disciples to understand the scriptures. Luke 24, 44, and 45 says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake to you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which was written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened their understanding, that he might, they might understand the scriptures. You see, we can't understand the scriptures unless we are being discipled. His disciples knew what he wanted them to teach to their own converts. So it's not enough to win people. It's not enough to just go. We must also teach the word of God, and that is the activity of the Great Commission. The activity is the command, which is to teach. And lastly, it's an authority, it's an activity, and it's second part of verse 20, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. It's an ability. It's an ability. You see, Jesus Christ, we can't do anything apart from Jesus Christ concerning him. So we have no ability in amongst ourselves. And therefore, when God promises, and he can't break any of his promises... So many different times in phrases like, Lo, I am with you always. Uh, I shall never leave you nor forsake you. Fear not, for I am with thee. Those are found, those types of phrases and words of comforts from God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, those words are found over 365 times in the Bible, which is once a day God is reminding you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. So, because of that, the Great Commission is our command to go and teach. I'm not qualified. You're right. But God gives you that ability to do that. Therefore, the Great Commission is an ability. The Great Commission is that way 
that it's fulfilled, and it's by multiplying. And when I say that, young people, don't worry, it's not a math class when I say multiplying. When one plants an orange seed, then he must expect to reproduce oranges. It's impossible to reproduce any other fruit than that which of the seed that is planted. So in other words, when one plants the Christian seed or the gospel seed, then one must expect to reproduce other Christians. And this is what the plan is for the local church. That's what God's plan is, and that's what he instills in every pastor that wants to grow a local church is to fulfill the Great Commission and has to reproduce Christians so we can reproduce Christians and send them and send them. God will always raise people up. You have some of these dynamic people. They're servants. They're faithful. They're great examples. They're doing good by God. They're doing good by their families. They're doing good by the church. And God is calling them out. And we go, oh my gosh, we can't afford to lose that person. But yes, you see, we can. Wouldn't it be great if Pastor Schott stood here, and I don't ever want to put words in his mouth, I love Pastor, and I really wish he was here because I miss him. But wouldn't it be great if he was looking at a full congregation and said, great, church is over, don't come back. Go out and plant another church down the road that needs to hear the gospel. Or go and take a church that's struggling and ready to close its doors and grow it back for the glory of God. Go and do that. You want to know God's will? Everyone says, Pastor, how do I know God's will? Well, obedience. Really. Fast and pray and seek his face. Come to the altar when the invitations are given. You got a gift. How am I going to use it? You're not going to use it by doing your own thing, going your own way. It's an ability that God gives you. And that's what the plan is for the local church, for my church, up in, or God's church that he's got, allowed me to be the steward over up in West Charleston, Vermont. For this church, Harvest Baptist Church, and every other church that preaches the gospel. God intends that the church plant seeds through making disciples so they can go plant throughout the world. And Jesus is in their midst. Remember he says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And so Jesus is not only in their midst when his people gather together, but he is also present with them as they go into the world to witness. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Had he remained on earth, Jesus could not have fulfilled that promise. It was when the Spirit came that Jesus could be with his people no matter where they were. When you become born again, the Holy Spirit of God lives and resides within your heart. That you are the temple of the living God. And therefore, the living God is with you everywhere you go. And might I say where you don't go. So don't keep God home from church. Go to church. Don't keep God home from witnessing to the lost soul. Go and witness. Don't keep God away from that because that's what he desires to do in and through you. He's present. He he remains in heaven waiting to come back now, giving us the command. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan told about an experience in his life that involved that statement. 
early in his Christian life, Dr. Morgan used to visit several women once a week to read the Bible to them. And when they came to the end of the Matthew's Gospel, Morgan read, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of this world. He added, Isn't that a wonderful promise? And one of the women quickly replied, She said, Young man, that is not a promise, that is a fact. There is no conditions for us to meet. There's no conditions for us to even believe because Jesus Christ is with us and he's proven it as we see all throughout the New Testament. God will not give you a task without guiding you and equipping you for it. In fact, he has a plan for you and you're part of it. He has a plan for the world and you're part of it. So he has a plan for you. Because he's the Lord of history. His churches follow his leading and obey his word. They fulfill his purpose in the world. And it's all going to come to a climax one day. And meanwhile, we must be obedient and faithful. So Christ not only commands us to go teach, but he equips us, therefore giving us that ability to complete the task. So the Great Commission is an authority, it's an activity, an ability given by Christ to you. And to me, and to every blood-bought, born-again believer. So I close with this, brothers and sisters. We cannot change the world if we don't change within ourselves and our culture. And the gospel is the only answer. And, it only, and, and if, it only, if it stops at salvation, because it only begins there. So if it stops at salvation, then we're not being obedient to it. And it must be reproduced through planting churches, making disciples. Who in your church would you be praying about right now to disciple? Who here in this church would you be praying about to take underneath your wing that, and disciple them? Who might that be? So we can help fulfill God's plan before he comes back. Let's stop getting angry at the politics in this world and start getting on our feet and moving for the cause of Christ. Don't be in a hurry. He's coming back imminently. So if he comes back before we leave, we're all off the hook. Praise God. But if he doesn't, let's be sure when he finds us, we work till Jesus comes. So our goal for the local church, led by faithful men of God, our pastors, given by Christ, is to fulfill this starting right here. And it can't be done without you. So Acts 1, 8 says, but you shall receive power, or exousia. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be witnesses both unto me both in Jerusalem, New Hartford, Judea, Connecticut, Samaria, the United States, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, the altar's open now. I pray, God, that this message has always been a challenge to me. There's so much to it. But God, it's so simple. And all we need is simple obedience to, to your call. When every head bowed and every eye closed, can I pray for you today? If you slip up your hand and say, Brother Scott, I know I need to be more obedient to the Great Commission. Will you pray for me? Amen. I see that. I see that. Amen. Hands all over the place. Hands all over the place. And they'll be more specific. 
Brother Scott, will you pray for me? I know somebody God is laying on my heart that perhaps I can get together with and we can, we can be, uh, I could disciple that person. You've been here for a while, been coming, been faithful. You know your word of God. Is there someone else you, you, that is God laying on your heart? If not, pray about that. Is there someone I could pray for you for that as well? And if you're here today and you've never known Christ as your Savior, is that you today? All you have to do, it's as simple as ABC. All you have to do is admit you're a sinner. Believe that with all your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day, and you believe that, then all you have to do is see, confess your sins to Him, call upon the name of the Lord. Confess your sins with your mouth. Believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. You pray a prayer like this and mean it with your heart. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's, it's just meaning with all your heart saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need you. I believe you died for my sins and that you were buried and rose again the third day. And I believe... You're alive today. And because of that, I confess to you. I ask you to forgive me. And I receive you right now into my heart to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me. If that's you today and you prayed that and you, you want to see anybody after church, I'm glad to talk with you. And I know there's faithful men and women of God here that would be glad to talk to you as well.